Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Code Through Vine for March 24th, 2019. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Join me as always. Welcome, Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome, Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, tonight, just to set it up, we have topics, topics, and more topics, and no guests, and that lined up really nicely, because there is really, honestly, more than you could begin to discuss in an hour, but we're going to start it off with the biggest story of the weekend, um, the Mueller report, uh, the findings were released to the Department of Justice, and uh, memos come out, obviously, there's many more details to come out, but the initial findings were not as conclusive or substantive, some might say. Um, Tim, give us kind of a a wrap-up of what we do and what we don't know. Well, as you said, the day finally came after 22 months. Uh, First of all, um, the, the first thing people said about it was odd that the report was delivered on a Friday at 5 p.m. That's normally what's known in Washington as, like, take out the trash day. Yeah. Um, and, of course, then all eyes turned to uh, the Attorney General, Bill Barr, who this afternoon finally released a letter, and that's basically what it was, a brief statement in which he said that the special, uh, that that Mueller had not uh, found any evidence of collusion between uh, the, the Trump campaign in 2016 and the Russians, and uh, owned obstruction that was pretty much inconclusive, and it ended with saying, uh, "Why, uh, why we can't find evidence that Donald Trump committed a crime, we also do not have evidence that he did not." So, uh, essentially, that's where we're at. And uh, of course, Trump and all of them are taking a massive, massive uh, victory lap, while Democrats are pretty much asking for all of the, the report, and basically so is the American people. Uh, so are the American people, and, and I think most uh, Republican members of Congress, at least for now, they may change their uh, tune and get on the victory train, but we've already had our president weigh in, you know, no collusion. I've been totally exonerated it's been terrible, this thing has. It shouldn't have never happened, and la-di-da-di-da. So uh, I'd have to say it's been a pretty good weekend for Trump. Uh, you know, I don't say that lightly. I, I don't like to say that, but it's the truth. It's, it's He's had a good weekend. 
Yeah, it could have been more conclusive to find out. Now, as we find out more details, there could be more things. And there's some questions I have. But, Catherine, what are your initial thoughts? Well, it sounds to me like uh, from the little bit that I've had been able to read today, it sounds to me like uh, Mueller, Mueller sort of left the um, conclusion and the action in the hands of the Department of Justice. So he basically gave his report, or they as a group, gave their report but left the next step in the hands of the Department of Justice. Yeah. Now, my biggest questions, and it's kind of, you know, they're related to, uh, you know, the same thing, is um, we notice campaign manager Paul Manafort is going to jail. Multiple crimes. Uh, multiple sentences, it seems like, for different crimes. Uh, Michael Cohen, his um, paid lawyer, attorney, his fixer, if you will, going to jail. And Michael Cohen, of course, testified and um there was a lot of really not good stories, if you will, that came out of there. So a lot of things that seemed like they could constitute an uh, obstruction of justice. Um, Tim, how in the world can we have all these people that are involved with Donald Trump be going to jail, and yet there's nothing more substantial in the report at this point? Yeah, our poor president has the worst look. Everybody he keeps hiring turns out to be a criminal. Isn't, isn't that terrible look? Um, uh, look here, here's what the Mueller investigation has produced. Thirty-four people have been indicted along with uh, three businesses that uh, representing 26 Russian individuals, I believe it is, that's been, that's been charged. Uh, six of the people indicted are our associates of Trump, Glenn Cohen, Manafort, Gates, uh, Papadopoulos, and Stone. Seven guilty pleas, five people sentenced to prison, and uh, Manafort, who took his to trial, was found guilty there. And, and, you know, these people, some of them are pretty close to Trump. Now we turn... People think, well, this is the end of things. No. Now now we turn uh, to uh, some states and cities and federal districts that have uh, their own stuff going on, their own investigations, a lot of stuff that Mueller has farmed out. Uh, plus there's going to be house investigations, we know, into things like what the Trump inaugural committee, uh, his his campaign officials, especially Rick Gates, uh, the Trump family, Cohen has connected them to a lot of the stuff. Um, so 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 a lot of that a lot of that's gonna be be going on for for a good long while. Uh, if I had to say. Where we are, I'd say we're about half done with all of this. Yeah, uh, Catherine, now, I mean, Tim even added more to my list of Cohen and Manafort, Stone, Papadopoulos. All these uh, folks are, you know, facing charges, have been found guilty of charges, have pleaded out. Um, does this just go away at this point with all these folks? Um 
they've you know been proven guilty that are all in Trump's orbit. On Stephanopoulos this morning, they said this is the uh, end of the beginning. Yeah, sounds good. That's what I think. I don't know if it was either. It was either Matt, uh, our friend uh, Matthew Dowd, whatever his name is. Yeah, Matthew Dowd or Chris Christie. One of them said this was the beginning, the end of the beginning. So there's a lot ahead. Everyone thought at the round table that there was a lot ahead with the state and other federal courts and then with the Department of Justice, whatever they end up doing. So I don't think this is going to go away. And I think with the Democrats, uh, you know, riled up and like you said, some of the Republicans, I don't think it's going to go away. Um even though that's what the president wants. But I don't think that's going to happen. Well, Sam, let me ask you this. Um, what, do, what do the Democrats in the House do with this information? Well, they they are going to get their hands on a lot more stuff than we can see, obviously. They are, if they have to, issue subpoenas. Um, I heard... Um, Jerry Nadler say today, you know, the the head of uh, the Judiciary Committee in the House, um, that Barr will probably be brought in to testify. Uh, That should be most interesting. Uh, But but they're going to be conducting multiple investigations now into... into, uh, the Trump family finances, the inaugural committee's finances, the campaign's finances, uh, and, and, you know, basically, you know, crime's crime, guys. A lot of these people that I said were indicted were, of all things, indicted for lying to federal investigators. Now, again, if nothing was wrong, what were they all lying about? They are certainly hiding something. And as we've seen with uh, clowns like Manafort, they, they were hiding plenty of stuff. Uh, and, and, and if there's something there, it, it, it's going to come out. Uh, we said it last year, elections have consequences, and our side won the House. And, you know, with it came oversight, and they're going to use that oversight. They've already proved that, and, and it's going to keep coming. I'll tell you another thing, too. Um, like the Manhattan DA could care less what Donald Trump thinks or says about anything. He's going to go ahead and do what he has to do. The state, any state that is investigating anything, uh, the, the feds can't touch them. The president can't touch them or shut them down. Those investigations are going to go on. Uh, and they better not try to shut down any federal investigations that are going on. They do so at their own peril. Uh, they might could get away with this if they still had the whole Congress. But we've got that one thing that's going to keep all of this going on. It's not going to stop. But. Trump and them are, are, are going to really be crowing this week. Now, they just really are. Everybody needs to brace themselves for it. Well, Catherine, let me go on to the next question. Um, 
I asked Tim about what the House Democrats do about it. What do you think Senate Republicans, House Republicans, uh, some of those, you know, they're not maybe never Trumpers, but they're not his, you know, they have, they're not Lindsey Graham, essentially, uh, his rubber stamp committee. Um, where do they fall on this? Boy, that's going to be an interesting uh, turn of events to see where they fall. I think it's going to depend on, honestly, it's going to depend somewhat on polling. You know, they're going to be looking at what their constituents think. I don't, I, I don't uh, subscribe by that theory, but I think that's uh, going to play a part in it. And um, and and how, like, I think depending on how. Um, vicious or not, how aggressive the Democrats are is going to be is going to be uh, affect how aggressive the Republicans are. If the Democrats come out fighting, I think some of the Republicans might might um, lay back a little bit. But if the Democrats aren't aren't as aggressive as we might like them to be, then the Republicans might feel like they have a chance to challenge this without being thought of as being too aggressive towards the president. But I think a lot of it is going to do, I have a lot. I think public opinion is going to have an impact on it, unfortunately. Yes. And Tim, that was kind of my next question. Um, The political side of this, and a lot of that has to do with public opinion. And that's not only public opinion all across, but public opinion among you know, Democratic primary voters. Um, what's the political fallout of this between now and Election Day 2020? Well, I, I think Nancy Pelosi has kind of already uh, settled the the fever pitch call for impeachment. That I, I think that has really helped a little bit. You don't hear... Uh, Democrats uh, around the country so much hollering for that anymore. I know that they said this morning out on the campaign trail, you don't hear any of the Democratic candidates for president really talking about it at all. Uh, instead, they're talking about the issues that we care about, like Medicare and, and you know, the Green New Deal, some of them, and, and those sort of uh, of things, uh, jobs in the economy, education, health care, that, that sort of stuff. I did want to bring one thing up, though. There is another wild card here, and that's the Attorney General himself. He has a lot of power here. There are four ways that he could attempt to block the release, the public release, of parts or most of the Mueller report. He could say some of it is uh, covered by executive privilege, you know, the president. Uh, Grand jury info, he could attempt to suppress that. Um, Anything, any info about ongoing investigations, and as far as we know, there are at least 17 of those right now connected to to this investigation going on, and he could cite national security. Now, the question then, here's 
where it becomes uh, really about public opinion. We have seen in poll after poll after poll that something like 90% of the public wants to see this report in its entirety. Uh, How will the public react if they perceive that the Attorney General or this administration in general is trying to suppress the release of this report. I don't think that one would play very well. Yes. Um, Catherine, let me ask you another political question. As this primary process goes through, um, there's, I guess, kind of been a debate um, within you know, Democratic ranks, do you go with the candidate that you agree the most with on the issues, or do you go with the safer candidate that has the better chance to beat Donald Trump? I know for simple that may be one and the same, but let's just say it's kind of there's a divide in simple's minds. Given that there won't be this completely condemning Mueller report behind the whole thing, um, do you think it causes – Democrats to be more cautious in their primary choice. Oh, that's an interesting. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, 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 uh. I think people will pick their pick their primary choice, and then whomever gets the gets the nod, everyone's going to be behind. I don't. I don't. I don't think this impacts that I don't think I haven't really thought about that question very much but I don't think so I think people pick their candidate and stick with them until the convention and then they're and this year more than ever everyone will get behind whomever it is I think yeah and it could even be on a subconscious level that's the one thing I want you know people to remember is the one thing the Mueller report didn't find is the Mueller report never found that Donald Trump is qualified to be president, that he can do a good job at being president, um, whether or not they found the smoking gun, whether he got collusion with Russia because he's – you know, all the things he's done, irregardless, has shown that he's just unqualified for the job, as, as many of us thought, before he was elected and after he was elected. So that's kind of the – the thing that was not needed that everybody should keep in perspective when, um, you know, election 2020 rolls around. Well, let's kind of segue to another uh, election 2020 topic and kind of in that mold of, of thinking of a, a safer choice as somebody that was one heartbeat away from the presidency and a vice presidential can our vice president, Joe Biden. He's the only, I guess, big name that's um, still rumored to be out there that hasn't decided, although he almost had a slip of the tongue. But in addition to that, um, the uh, reports, rumors, what have you came out that he is looking at picking a vice presidential candidate um, to run with right from the start, kind of like states like I believe Kentucky do, States like Minnesota do with their governor and their um, lieutenant governor. You pick your candidate before the convention and you get voted on kind of together um, in the process. And so this is something that's never really been done in American history. He's looking at it and making it even more interesting for us 
He's looking at uh, former Georgia minority leader and um, gubernatorial um, nominee for uh, governor of Georgia, Stacey Abrams. Um, Tim, kind of give us your thoughts on you can even talk about the Biden candidacy, and we're not doing the buy, sell, hold. We're just the Biden candidacy and this concept of picking a VP um, as you announce. You know, I, I don't like I don't like it, uh, uh, especially from from her side of things. It, uh, you, you mentioned, of course, this this is unprecedented. So. It does have the advantage of never having been tried before, uh, but how will people perceive this? Uh, will they view it as an act of desperation? Will they look at it as a, a guy saying, hey, I'm the inevitable nominee anyway, so let me go ahead and dispense with it and pick my running mate? Uh, look at me, I'm... I'm weak in this area, so I take care of it with my vice presidential pick. Um, I, I, I don't know. There, I, I, there are, though, far more upsides to this for him than for her. He gets a high-profile running mate, a rising star perceived in the party. She's female, African-American, She's young, she's 45, and he's 76. Um, they, they've also floated this one-term idea, no, 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 a, a lame duck on inauguration day, no. Uh, you know, on the downside, he's going to be asked by a lot of reporters why she was better than all of the other people that are running for president. That's going to come. Um, now, look at her. It stops her from running for the Senate. You know, we've talked about that on here. We don't like that. What if he loses the nomination? She's stuck. What, what if he loses the general election? That might finish her politically. But I think she wants to be president. She might view this as the fastest, I don't know, avenue to that goal. But why commit now? I, I don't think she'll do that. Maybe Biden's people are just taking this story out for a spin to gauge reaction. I, I say that because, according to some accounts, Biden made no formal <laughs> offer to her. This is not a done deal. Um, another question. What if there's a contested convention? What if he, say, has 45% of the delegates and the number two candidate says, well, I'll give you my delegates, but I need to be on the ticket with you. What's he going to do, go back and tell her sorry? Um, I, I don't know, guys. I know the Democratic Party is 20% black. I know this more, it's way more than half female. What, what do you think, Catherine? I think it's a terrible idea, I, and I agree with you. I think it's a really terrible idea for Stacey Abrams. Um, mm -hmm. I think the only benefit – I think uh, Joe Biden is the only one who could benefit from it. But I think it's, uh, it, looks, it looks arrogant, like I'm going to be the nominee, so I'm going to bring my um, VP candidate with me. 
what, like you said, what does it say about the rest of the uh, people running? Um, does it, I don't like the idea of it sort of pitting uh, Stacey Abrams and Kamala Harris against each other as the, as two, you know, up and coming black women. Um, I, I think I just, and, and, and even though it's unprecedented and so people are saying, oh, well, it's brilliant. It's this, you know, historical thing. I, I just don't, I just don't, not that I wouldn't like that ticket ultimately. I think that would be a good ticket ultimately, but I don't think this is the way to get to it. I, I actually don't think it's a good, I, I don't think, I don't think Joe Biden should run. And I think this might this trial balloon might be something that he's trying, and that he may not run now, because it's gotten pretty much universal negative response. But I don't know. I, what, what do you think, David? Well, I, I'm kind of like we've seen so many loosening of democratic norms, and I'm talking small d, you know, democracy norms. Why do we need to loosen another one and not follow the process where the delegates at a convention, you know, have some say in the VP, you know, pick and you go through the process. And a lot of times, like, for instance, in, say, 2004, and I know somebody has a bad example because we now know what we know about John Edwards. But John Edwards was picked because he did a good job in the 2004 campaign. Um, probably in 1980, George uh, H.W. Bush was picked because he did a good job in the campaign. Maybe one of these candidates, could be any of them, can connect with voters and still finish second in this you know, 15, 16 candidate field and deserves the spot because of how well they ran. And Joe Biden would be taking that from the American people and that candidate. Um, now, as far as Stacey Abrams and as far as the state of Georgia, the state of Georgia is frozen, the Democrats at least, and the state of Georgia are frozen until she can make her decision. If she really has no interest in being in the United States Senate, then that's fine. Maybe this could be a, a better move for her if she doesn't want to be in the Senate. But if she wants to be in the Senate or, or thinks that's a good option, then she needs to just get this out of the way, either say you're going to decide and decide now if I like it, or I need to go ahead and start running, start raising money, start visiting a lot of these counties that I didn't do as well in. Because think about every day she loses by not being on the campaign trail. Imagine if she spent every day in those counties, and there are a handful of them out of Georgia's 159 counties that she didn't do as well as Jason Carter did in 2014. If she did nothing but spend days in those counties, how could that not help her against David Perdue and, and kind of tighten in you know, the weak spots? I think she's going to do well in places like Cobb and Gwinnett, where she won as a Democrat for the first time in, in many decades. Um, but then figure out those other things. And if she wants to not run we got to find us another candidate, and that candidate's got to start raising money. They've got to figure out the election machine. Um, so I'm ready for this to be resolved one way or the other and not go on some kind of month-long, you know, Joe Biden's got to decide plan 
where we lose another month on the calendar. Because honestly, guys, I thought we'd have a decision by now. Tim, did you think we'd have a decision by now? On Biden? Uh, no, on uh, on uh, Stacey Abrams in the U.S. Senate. Oh yeah, I really thought I really thought by now we'd have her in the uh, running in, in the U.S. Uh, Senate race, and I still think that's the best way for her to go because uh, we're not going to have a, a better chance for a long time uh, to win a U.S. Senate seat here. We have a one-term incumbent who is not that popular with the voters. She has proved that she can outperform the model in this state, and she's going to be doing it in a year where a lot more voters, especially voters that would be voting with us, will be coming out. Um, it, it would seem to me that the U.S. Senate would be the perfect place for, for her to go. Why be a, a vice presidential candidate uh, l- like this? Uh, why, 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 take, why take this, this chance when, when basically all the upside will be with the person at the top of the ticket and there's a lot more downside for you. This could, this decision could make or derail her political future uh, when she is, politically speaking, at a pretty young age. She really, really needs to think about this, and she really needs to get going, because every day that someone is not out there running against David Perdue, and you've said it yourself, David, we're, we're frozen, aren't we? We're frozen in place with nobody knowing what to do. They're waiting on Stacey Abrams to make a decision. But every day somebody's not running against Perdue is a day that's helping David Perdue. So there we are. You know, I, I got to say, I got to say a shot of that. If somebody wants to run for Senate, there's certainly – able to run if there's somebody who believes that they can win and they they think they're the best candidate nothing is stopping them you know it's not like Stacey Abrams said oh I I'm gonna make a decision but everybody else stop until I make a decision I, I I don't I don't think it's fair to to you know then that ultimately means that if we don't win then we're going to blame Stacey Abrams because we got well, started late. I just I, – I don't buy that. I don't buy it. Well, well Catherine, who who can beat Stacey Abrams in a Democratic primary That's right now? That's the problem right there. And if you know you're going to lose, I mean, the, the, you, you have to understand what fights you can win and what fights you can't. And I say fight, and this is not a good word. It's like if, if you, you, there's a job you want. And you think, well, I might send in my resume, and then you're like, well, I heard so-and-so is going for that job, too, and they're just more qualified than me. You know, I have my master's. They have their doctorate. I have two years' experience. They have ten. They have all the right connections. I don't. And you know you're going to lose out of them, so you have to decide how much energy do I expend. I think that's where the rest of the Democratic field is, and rightfully so. That's not a slight to Stacey Abrams. That's saying that she's going to beat anybody in the Democratic primary, that, so they have to know what yeah. she's going to do. Tim? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, as far as qualifications, yeah, I think Mayor Tomlinson has all the qualifications in the world. The problem is, could she beat Stacey Abrams if Stacey Abrams jumps in the race after she's already committed to it? A lot of people are, you know, very careful about this because they don't want to blow their own political opportunity in the future by running a quixotic race right now. That's why she basically is just, you know, <laughs> it, 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 it's tough. I, it's tough on I everybody. I, I understand. I understand all that, but I, I just think it's a little dramatic to say, you know, I mean, the Democratic Party could be working all those counties where Stacey didn't um, prevail, didn't receive as many votes as um, as Jason Carter. There's, it's not like. Um, I just don't feel like we we should put so much pressure and po- pressure on and power in Stacey Abrams' hands. Yeah, well, she's I mean, just one person. I understand. Well, I'll say, and I agree with Catherine. The state party should be doing things in those counties, and it's their job because there's going to be state house races, state senate races, and races after 2020. That very well may not involve Stacey Abrams. So I agree it's the party's job. Now, I will say this. I, I listened to a book this past week called Eat the Frog, and it was some, it had a little portion about goal setting. And I heard the most interesting thing. They said that if you give somebody three minutes to set goals for their life, come up with three goals for your life, and then you give them three hours and three days, that they're – Goals will really not change that much if they're given three minutes to set their goals or three days to set their goals. I think in her gut, in her heart of hearts, Stacey Abrams knows what she wants. And if she wants to be governor of the state of Georgia and she really has no interest in being in the United States Senate, that is absolutely fine. She has one life to live, and she needs to live it like she wants to live. And if that's her decision, go ahead and tell us. But if you think, hey, the U.S. Senate, uh, that's perfect for me. I'm single. The legislative branch in Washington is much, you know, is much better for a single person than a lot of times than a married person, and I think this is my best shot. Then do it. I, I don't understand what we're waiting for. Let's just make a decision one way or the other. I'm willing to live with it. Um, well, I, I mean, I, I'm not – I'm not going to second guess uh, Stacey Abrams. <laughs> I'm sure she's yeah. got a lot of things to think about. Yeah. Oh, she well, does. I mean, <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing. If she said, well, you know, I need some time to decompress. I'm going to go on a, you know, one-month vacation sabbatical somewhere longer than that. Or, you know, oh, I need to spend time with my family. I mean, or something like that, but it's really she's been in campaign mode because she's been working so much on the you know the voter project and, and making all sure all ballots are counted, which is great work. So, but she hasn't gone out of the spotlight, which is smart politically. But at some point, if she's going to run for governor, she's going to need a long-term <laughs> strategy anyway. Because if if she runs decides I'm not running against David Perdue, I'm not running for Senate, then she's going to have to step out of that top limelight to let that new candidate shine through, to let the Democratic nominee for president shine through. They're going to have to take over the state of Georgia in 2020, and she's going to have to find some way to stay relevant for that governor's race. Now, she's running for U.S. Senate. 
needs to get on the trail, Tim. We totally agree, though, on one thing. Stacey Abrams should not uh, sign on as Joe Biden's running mate right now. We, right. We, that, there's just no way that, that that can end well, I don't yeah. think. And no one should because it's not the process. And a second thing, every poll I look at, Joe Biden's winning it. Why does he have to do this? Why does he have to resort to this desperate gimmick? Because I mean, I don't know that he'll end up being the nominee, but it's not like he's in terrible shape. I mean, if I was looking at the he polls is, and saying, well, these known commodity, commodities, who's doing poorly, it ain't Joe Biden. To run, he's going to be a terrible candidate. He's got 40 years of votes that he's got to answer to. He's got the whole Anita Hill thing. He's got the... Um, the when he copied the speeches, remember that whole thing? He's got a lot of baggage, and I don't think he's going to be a good candidate at all. He's he's too handsy. He's too charming. Um, I, I I think he. I, I don't think he's a good candidate at all. Well, I, I don't want him to run. Well, I'll say I this though. That, hold on, let me say one more thing. The fact that he's top of the polls is just because everybody knows who he is. That's the only reason. It's not because he's a good candidate. It's because he's known, just like Bernie. There might well, be I will say this. Most of the things you mentioned, Anita Hill, votes in the Senate for all those years, um, the the copying the Neil Kinnock speech back in the 80s. You know, one guy did overlook all that, and it was Barack Obama when he picked him as vice president. Yeah, but that's uh, so he, it's but been a, it, it, somebody that's said, hey, I'm going to forgive you and give, put you one uh, heartbeat away from the presidency. Now, of course, we have a lot of people that now blame President Obama for everything, and I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking a lot of people on the left that have, have started to really whip on him and Michelle Obama. I'm absolutely floored and shocked by that, but I've been reading a lot of it, and so who knows? You know, guys, there, I was thinking there might be one more reason why he leads the polls. He's not race. You can be pretty popular when you're not out there uh, on the firing line taking the shots. We've seen that before. We've seen can't miss people who were very popular. Uh, we've seen Hillary Clinton's poll numbers go through the roof, and it just didn't work out on election day. When he enters the race, I'm not saying his numbers would go down, but I'm saying there's a much better chance that there would, and there's also a very good chance that his poll numbers are where they are right now because he's not in the race. What do you think? That's a really good point, Tim. Yeah. I mean, I think really Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders have nowhere to go but down. I, I, I think they're, they are inflated, um, and it is name ID. Uh, but it's just. But if I was leading the race, I wouldn't run scared. Uh, I mean, there, there's no reason I'd run. Like you know, Joe Biden's not in the race, and he's doing this well. Other candidates had to get in the race um, to boost up. Uh, one more question about the race, and then we uh, we got some other things we need to get into. Is I've been looking at these poll numbers both in Iowa and nationally, and I'm going to tell you who I'm kind of been underwhelmed by her numbers. Not that I, the she's done anything in her campaign to underwhelm me, but it's just the response to it that because she's a known commodity, I keep looking at Elizabeth Warren and she's having trouble, you know, cracking the top four, even though she's so well known 
to be just a U.S. senator. Um, Catherine, any ideas why Elizabeth Warren is struggling, or is there anybody else that you've been kind of surprised that they didn't connect any better? Well, I don't know how much um, time Elizabeth Warren has been has spent on the road, so I don't I don't know. But honestly, she's kind of blah. You know, she's kind of beige. It's, it's, I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for her. You know, I've said, I'm sure I've said it before. I'd much rather have her in the Senate than as president. I think she's a really important voice in the Senate. But she's not very exciting. And I think that's what, you know, voters are looking somebody, looking, they're, we're always looking for someone who we can get really excited about and cheer for. And I just don't think she in, in, engenders that kind of um, excitement. It doesn't mean that she's not good. It just means that she's not, like she might be an example of someone who's not as good a candidate as they are an elected official. Um, you know, she might be a better president than she is a presidential candidate, but you have to be a candidate first. So, but that's the impression I get. I just don't feel like people can get all that excited about her. Tim, your thoughts on that and is anybody else kind of underwhelmed you so far? Are there spots to them? Well, the the problem with, with Warren, I think, is there's probably a half dozen candidates in the race who have like the exact same stance on a lot of the issues that she does. If she was the only one uh, running, I think her numbers would be a little bit better, but... Uh, I'd say she's taking numbers away from Sanders, or he's taking numbers away from her. Um, I have, uh, I, 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 I'm a little surprised right now that uh, that 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 she is where she is. She's the one I would pick to and say, well, why hasn't she moved up when she has been at the forefront of speaking out? you know, uh, for the party. Uh, it seems like other, dare I say, younger, fresher faces are, are, are making are making their way in this thing, including a certain young uh, mayor from from Indiana. Um, but but I'm 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 a little surprised that she is sitting where she is. If she's back in the pack in Iowa, and especially in New Hampshire in her backyard, I'm going to say her campaign ends right there. Yeah, possibly so. And this Iowa, that's one thing we have to really remember is, is this – this is a, a race that is of legs. Uh, Catherine and I, we both like the amazing race. It's not the whole thing. It's how you do it each leg, and uh, the first leg is Iowa. Um, one more quick thing that just I just thought of it, and because it is Iowa, remember when uh, late in the campaign, and I don't think it was much of a, a deal really that affected a lot of Georgia voters, but, uh, but the Republicans made a lot about it was uh, Stacey Abrams' comments about farming. Um, it really didn't play, I think, a big part in Georgia. But in Iowa, knowing that that's a much more farm-heavy state than is uh, Georgia, Catherine, do you think that would have any impact on um, Joe Biden picking her and then her their, their um, reception in Iowa? 
Well, I, I just wonder if uh, Iowa is not the reason that Joe Biden would want Stacey Abrams to run with him. Like, she might not need to go to Iowa. No. You know, that's not really – I mean, I think Joe Biden does well in Iowa because he's, you know, Uncle Joe. Um, but I don't think that comment is going to have trash going into a presidential race. Yeah. Tim? Tim, you there? Did we lose Tim? He's showing on the board. Um, Tim, you there? I'm going to mute him and unmute him. Catherine, I'm going to start our next topic, though, while we get Tim back with us. Um, that would be the, you know, the Georgia Voter Project trying to get more folks to vote in Georgia. Um, there were some deadlines that Georgia you know, officials had to meet, and, and essentially Georgia Republicans, the new Republican Secretary of State, uh, people that are probably left over from uh, Governor Brian Kemp's office, they just pretty much ignored those voter deadlines, and they didn't turn over any voter data, um, you know, about it. Uh, Catherine, how surprised were you by the fact that they just, you know, ignored uh, what, you know, was being requested of them? Uh, by the House Oversight Committee, we might mention. Um, yes. I think it's not at all surprising, but at the same time rather shocking. I, I know that's kind of a weird combination, but I mean, I don't, I'm not surprised that the Republicans ignored a um, request by a democratic, uh, a democratically controlled committee. Um, and, but at the same time, it's rather shocking that they would um, ignore, uh, ignore. It. I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just not surprising. They are going to do what they want to do. They're going to get these machines that are, you know, notoriously. Uh, I mean, I read, I read a uh, just a headline today that said they're like the most easily corruptible machines on the market, and they're not what the people want. Everybody, I mean, all the polls in Georgia show that people want uh, handwritten. Ballots that are read by a machine, not machine-generated um, forms. But you know they're ignoring all that. They're doing what they want to do, for whatever the reason might be. Is it kickbacks? I don't know. Is it just because they don't want voters to have that control? They want to be able. They want it to be easier. Or I don't know what the reasons are, but they're ignoring the the people, which is not uncommon. Yeah, meeting deadlines is even, to me, more egregious than not um, handing out, uh, than just what kind of voter machines you pick. Uh, Because you could say, well, they they won the majority and they can pick what they want, but then flat out not meeting deadlines that they were required to meet, that's just not following the law. Tim, your thoughts on that? Guys, let me apologize. I've been having trouble with my phone. I have not been hearing what you have been talking about for the last few minutes. I actually dropped and had to call back. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, uh, what we're talking about is the fact that you know Georgia Republicans uh, just did not meet deadlines in showing uh, or, or turning over voter data that they were required mm-hmm. to do so this past yeah. week. Um. 
Well, you know, Elijah Cummings did send the letters uh, to to Governor Kemp and to the Secretary of State, Raffensperger. Uh, he wanted them for his uh, Oversight and Reform Committee, uh, and, and he wanted to look into the election system and, and voter suppression uh, last year. Now, I don't know if y'all mentioned this, but a statement has been released that Georgia intends to fully comply. Um, they're going to be looking at things like voter roll purges, um, registration issues. Um, the the what what county was that where where the polling places were shut down? Um, it, it was a county that was majority black in South Georgia. Y'all remember that? Oh yeah, I remember. I can't remember what county. Yeah, I know Gwinnett had some real issues too. Yeah, uh, but but what does our governor say? He says, "Well, they need to quit playing politics up there." Uh, <laughs> I, maybe they're taking their cue from Trump with this Stonewalling. You know, Trump and them have, have just totally refused to send anything from the White House over there to to uh, congressional investigators. Not, I, I guess they're saying, you know what? We're not gonna do anything you say, and we dare you. Uh, to take us to court. And that brings up a question. I mean, you know, the Republicans have been packing the courts with Trump appointees, left and right all over the country. What will the courts do now? Will they agree with them? Don't know. I mean, and some of the judges will still be holdovers. A lot of times, or sometimes, judges will get on a court and they won't be uh, it's conservative or liberal as the person that appointed them, um, and, and that we've seen that with you know several Republican appointees. So mm-hmm. hopefully, maybe some of this will happen uh, when the data gets turned over. Now, next question would be, how do Georgia voters react to this, or will Georgia voters even pay attention? Because of course, there's a, a long history at the state level, uh, not just our state, of voters not attending the state politics because they all politics has now become national. Catherine? Oh, I don't think anybody's paying attention. <laughs> Except yeah. us, you know, the people that are inside the bubble, but I don't think anybody else, you know, pays much attention to all that stuff. Yeah. Mm. Tim, does anybody pay attention? And what's the reaction if they do? Well, you know, I think Catherine makes a point. I mean, we're we follow politics closely. We're political junkies. We we know others just like us. But what does the average person make of this? I would wager, and, and you know, I used to talk a lot about the place that I worked at that I thought was representative, pretty much of of, of the average person workplace. And I would think most of those people wouldn't even know what we were talking about and hadn't even heard about this. Um, and, and if the, and if a lot of them did hear about it, they'd probably cheer the governor saying, that's right, boy, you go get them feds, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I, I got to agree with Catherine. The, the average person takes no stance because the average person just don't keep up with things like this like they should. That's yeah. sad, but that's, that's the and, way it is, right? 
And likely true. Um, yeah. You know, that's that's the truth. It's just probably um, something that a lot of voters just don't even know about because state politics has taken a huge back seat to national politics. Um, yeah. Well, one final issue, and, and this is uh, – there's some humor in this, and there's some irony in this and a lot of things, and that was this past week uh, California Representative Devin Nunes sued Twitter. And he sued Twitter because Twitter has allowed there to be a fake parody account that um, <laughs> he feels has aggrieved uh, him and offended him. It's called Devin Nunez Cow, and it's uh, apparently a picture of a cow. I don't know if Mr. Nunez or Representative Nunez owns this cow, or it's just a, a fictional cow. But uh, apparently, he does, uh, Representative Nunes does not like what has been posted on this Twitter account, supposedly by this cow. Um, Catherine, what in the world are we doing when we have our national leaders suing Twitter because of a cow account? <laughs> it just makes them look so stupid and petty. I mean, there's a million of those. There's, like, one that was Paul Ryan's um, gavel that used to make fun of Paul Paul Ryan. And there's, you know, there's all kinds of those Twitter accounts. Pete, Pete uh, Buddha Judge has a Twitter account with, for his two dogs, and they talk about the campaign. It's really cute. Um, it's just stupid. Like, Obviously, he takes himself too seriously, and he should just laugh with it. I mean, don't 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 let you know. We say this to ourselves, and we say it. To, I don't have children, but I think we say it to children. Just don't let them get you. Like it's it's a joke. Laugh at it or ignore it. Don't doing Twitter. I think it's it's just preposterous. Yeah. <laughs> Tim, Evan Nunez cow account, your your thoughts and how aggrieved should uh Devin be? Oh jeez. I, I know what he's up to. Uh Nunez knows he he uh, can't win this lawsuit. That 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 isn't his point. Here's his point. He he's saying that uh Twitter is you know, showing bias toward conservatives by allowing these fake accounts and kicking conservatives around and taking sides against conservatives. And all the social media is doing that. And this time somebody took them to court. That's what it's about. He just, he just wants to silence the opposition. Well, let me tell you what's happened with the opposition. That little, uh, uh, at Nunez Cow, uh, Devin Nunez, which, uh, yeah, at, at Devin Cow, that, that's the name of it. Uh, people are joining it and having fun yeah, with exactly. it. I mean, they've gone from 1,200 followers to 620 thousand followers in a week and boy are they coming out with the fun things they're saying about it like it's pasture p-a-s-t-u-r-e 
time to move him to prison. I mean, they're saying he's utterly U-D-D-E-R-L-Y worthless. <laughs> they are having a ball with this guy. And, and uh, you know, he's he's not going to shut the opposition down uh, by with, dare I say, frivolous lawsuits against. And actually, you know, one of the users is a GOP strategist that he's suing. I mean, geez. No, he, he, he misgaged this, I think. Yeah, you, you, those cows, I mean, it's been over a decade now. They've been climbing up on billboards, telling us to eat more chicken, and yeah. now they're starting Twitter accounts. Um, yeah. Seriously, this is a guy that endorsed legislation against frivolous lawsuits. Kevin, right. how is this not the very example <laughs> of the most frivolous type of lawsuit you can have? Well, you know, the thing that I think is funny is that that they think that by filing these lawsuits or whatever they, you know, all these different things, you know, criticizing, that they're going to stop the people. But what it is is that, I mean, I'm just going to say it. People on the left are funnier and the, and more uh, more quotable and they're more popular. So that's the problem. Like, get better at what you do, and you might be able to get some of this. Uh, you know, popularity on social media. But as long as you're, you know, backwards and supporting Trump and doing all these, and like, floating uh, preposterous um, lawsuits, you're not going to be popular on social media. You're going to be ridiculed. Catherine, what are you talking about? I hear all these right-wing people saying that some guy named Greg Gutfield on Fox News is funnier then Trevor Noah, Stephen Colbert, and Jimmy Kimmel combined. I mean, they just claim that this guy is as funny okay. as it gets. Um, I, I actually watched uh, a few minutes of a YouTube clip, and I, I wasn't really sure he was telling jokes, but but they swear up and down that guy's funny. Um, Tim, have you seen that guy's comedy stylings? Uh, no. <laughs> just, 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 just know it and leave it right there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and throw in John Oliver too. You know, he this this gutful guy's even funnier. Well, uh, uh, just the sad state of affairs that that Devin Nunes is having to sue Twitter. I guess he couldn't sue the cow. Um, is why he had to pick on Twitter. Um, I wonder what the Chamber of Commerce is going to think about that. The you know since they're Usually a big Republican firm, and Twitter is a you know million dollar, billion dollar U.S. business. Uh, that seems like you put them in odds with them as well. But who knows? Um, well, guys, uh, been a been a good, interesting show with tons of topics. Until next week, it's been the Cozy Vine. Good night, guys. Good night, y'all. Everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution. With a strong and united. America still be a force for freedom and prosperity.